in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 22 verse 31 2 Samuel chapter 22 verse 31 the word of the Lord says as for God his way is perfect the word of the Lord is tried he is a buckler to all of them that trust him I want to read it one more time as for God his way is perfect the word of the Lord is tried he is a buckler to all that trust him in case you haven't already figured it out I'm going to preach for the next little while on this thought tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Those three verses that my wife just sung out and led us in are going to be the three points of focus today. We trust in His Word. We trust in His work, which was His cleansing blood. And we trust in Him. We trust in the Word of God. We trust in the work of God. And we trust who God is. Everybody say Word. Everybody say work. Everybody say who. That's our points of focus this morning. God bless you as you're seated in Jesus' name. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one is a song that was written by David. We're familiar with David. David the king, the shepherd, the psalmist, the songwriter. And he made the statement in this 22nd chapter of 2 Samuel in verse 31, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all of them that trust him. I want to tell you as we dive into this this morning that songs of deliverance often come from places of despair. Songs of praise often come from places of pain. Songs of trust usually come from painful test. David wrote the song of praise, 2 Samuel 22, the song of praise, the song of trust when he was delivered. Let me just tell somebody this this morning, and I hope you're catching what I'm saying. You have to survive the test to have your testimony. And somebody in this room today needs to be reminded that you're in the middle of the writing of your testimony. You're in the middle of something that is going to be an incredible testimony. You see, before the song comes the struggle. And in 1 Samuel chapter 22, I want you all to look at this with me. It tickles me every time I read it. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, not 2 Samuel, but 1 Samuel chapter 22, you kind of get insight as to where this all started. In verse 1, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone, everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. The background of this particular reading of Scripture had these three points. Number one, David was a refugee. 
David had been anointed to be king over his people. He was anointed, but he was at that point in time in the process of running. He was victorious because he had already slain Goliath and seen that victory, but he was in hiding. So he was a refugee, anointed but running, victorious but in hiding. David had a congregation, is the second thing, 400 people. That's not a bad congregation to have. David had a congregation, and his congregation was made up. Of everyone who was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. It was this group that gathered themselves to him. And the third thing, he became their captain. Now last, last Sunday night, we played softball. Every time we don't have a Sunday evening service, the youth group uh, plays softball. And they still ask me to come. And so we were out there playing softball, and I got to be one of the team captains. Armando, I believe, was one of the captains, or, one, or might have been Anna. And so we're picking. And you know how it is. You pick, you, you, you kind of go down the line. And some of y'all, if y'all were number 10 and 11 getting picked, just disregard what I'm saying. But you want to you wanna pick the, the one you think is going to be the most advantageous to your team. Pick that first. Well, here's what David had. David was the captain of the team, but it was a group of misfits. Here they were. They were a group of drifters. And debtors, they were troubled and troublemakers. But here's the clincher. They weren't there to support David. Think about it. They weren't there telling David, I've got your back. They weren't there to support David. They were there to escape their own problems. David, David talked about it. He said something about it later in Psalm 142, verse 4. He said, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I look at all these guys that joined themselves to me, and not a single one of them cared about my welfare. They were all there to escape their own problems. Anybody ever felt that way? Felt like you attracted failures to your life? Let's don't, let's don't hang out there. Captain of the castaways is what David had become. Captain of the castaways, certainly not the contenders. But let me pause here for a moment to tell you that when God has a... So anybody with me this morning? When God has a plan, it doesn't matter what Satan's plot is. And when God's anointing is on a man, it doesn't matter what hell attempts to do. God had anointed him, and it didn't matter if he was surrounded by a group of castaways and misfits. It didn't matter if they would have been the last one chosen on anybody's team. What happened was, is when God got done with all of that, they became mighty men. They were conquerors. They were victorious. They go down in the annals of history for their country as being mighty warriors and mighty men that accomplished great things. You see, it doesn't matter how you start. When God gets a hold of a situation, God brings change. And so later, later, in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. My high tower and my refuge. My savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved 
from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. It's a long song, and I'm not going to read all of it, but he goes on to declare that God moved heaven and earth. God brought me out. God blessed me. And then he goes on down toward the end, and he says, Thou art my lamp, verse 29. Thou art my lamp, O Lord. The Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power. He maketh my way Perfect. And jumping on down toward the end of the song, he said in verse 47, The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. He wrote that based on a fact he was in a cave running for his life surrounded by a group of people that were that had their own problems and didn't care about his and God did a work in his life. God turned some things around and he said I want to tell you now this is who my God is. I've trusted him and I've learned to see what he can do in my life. And this song goes into the temple song book. It's in Psalm 18, and it goes into the temple song book. It's David's hymn of the celebration to the grace of God. Psalm 18 is where you'd find it. And it simply tells you, and many of you that's got a study Bible, it'll have a little heading over it. And it'll say to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song. In the day that the Lord delivered him out from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, verse 1 of Psalm 18, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Verse 46, the Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Louisa Alcott wrote for us that song, or Louisa Stead, pardon me, wrote for us that song many years ago. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. David wrote to us from a place of despair. We look at it on this side. Of the story, on the end of it, when the test is over and the testimony is there. And she, Miss Louisa, wrote that song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, after going on a picnic on a Saturday afternoon and watching a young boy drowning out off of Long Beach Island there in New York. And, and, and her husband listening to the cry and jumping in after him, they both drowned. And then she remarried and became a missionary, and they moved over to Africa. And it was during that time that she had recorded or written that song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Let me tell somebody something this morning that it's very possible that what you're going through right now is going to end up being a song of praise not too far down the road. 
It's very possible that the trial is going to become an incredible testimony that's going to bring liberty to somebody that hears your declaration of deliverance. So don't give up where you are. Your story is not over. Amen. Amen. It's today. I want us to take verses 1, verse 2, verse 4, what my wife just sung a moment ago. And this is going to be our points of focus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Number one, just to take him at his word. Word. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know. Thus saith the Lord. The Word. When we think about the Word, we think about the written Word. We think about the Bible. But is it the Word? We would be very disturbed if someone took a Bible. And I have several Bibles. Sister Ruth read hers through 134 times. Family says it's marked up. It's used. We use our Bibles. We would be very disturbed if someone, and I hope you all are listening right now. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to miss it. We'd be very disturbed if someone took a Bible and began to take a pocket knife and cut it up and deface it. Someone disrespected it in any way or desecrated it in any way. We would be very disturbed at that, and rightly so. You see... We hold in our hands the word that was spoken, the word that was recorded, and the word that is. But it's more than compiling written words recorded in ink on paper and bound into a book with leather and glue. You see, the truth is you can rip out the pages, but the word remains. You can actually burn the hard copies, but the Word remains. You can ignore it, defile it, or destroy it, but you can't eliminate the Word. The book is not the Word. If it was, books can be destroyed. Copies can be erased. Printing can be done away with. And the Bible can become as extinct as other forgotten manuscripts. It's more than 66 books into one, or 66 books compiled into one called the Holy Bible. There's something living about it. There's something powerful about it. There's something more than just paper and ink and leather. There's something more than that. The Bible says that it's life. The, the Word of God tells us in John 1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Sister Ruth Daniel had that goal in life to read her Bible through at least one time for every year of her life. That would have been 82 times. She read her Bible through 134 times and told her family she learned something new every time she read it. In the beginning, John says, was the Word. Say it with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. The Word was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. That means before creation, before mankind, before civilization. The word beginning is that's when we know things started. So when we know things started, something was already in existence. Before creation, before mankind, before civilization, there was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. That is the wisdom of God, the expression of God, the intention of God. But not only was in the beginning the Word was, in the beginning the Word was with God. The, the, the synopsis of it all is the Word was God. The Word was God, not a God. But what you find here in John 1, 1 is a straight forward unequivocal declaration of the deity of Jesus our Lord. Theos hen hologos, the word was God. Are you with me right now? This is why you can eliminate scripture but you can't erase God. Cancel culture can attempt it but cannot cancel the word. You can say let's pull it off the shelves but the word is still going to exist. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, in who? In Him, the Word was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 10, He was in the world. And the world was made by Him. And the world knew Him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, because he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, or he has t uh, given us revelation of who he is. Cancel culture is not something that just started last year. The original cancel culture has already attempted to cancel the word. 2,000 years ago, they stopped their ears. They gnashed on him. They beat him. They crucified him. And they buried him. But in 1 John, 1 John 1, 1. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and shew unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He's talking about Jesus. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. The Word 
is life. And in him was life. The word brings life. Paul summed it up this way in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Who was in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And I know, y'all I know, I read a lot of scripture. I've practiced being able to read fast so I can get a lot into it. And I put all these scriptures, wrote them down, had them all together, turned it into the media so that y'all could follow along. And I looked down at my word count, and I'm going to preach to y'all 4,034 words today. And that's not counting these filler words like what I just threw in here. 4,034 words. That's a two-hour sermon that's going to be condensed into 41 and a half minutes. But there's a lot of word. There's a lot of scripture. Some of y'all, when you set in on a message I preach, you get more Bible right here than you do all week with your own personal devotion. So that's why I do it, y'all. If you'd read the Bible for yourself, I wouldn't read it to you. Somebody ought to clap your hands over that one. Actually, you know what that was? That was a pop quote. I've got a whole list of pop quotes. Anthony, you still keeping up with them? And this one while ago, I don't care what kind of sinner you were, or I don't care what kind of sinner you are, you might have been married ten times and living with two. <laughs> Pop, that's going to be at your funeral. <laughs> Somebody put me on Facebook, they think I'm half dead. What's the rest of that? I never finished that one. So you can put that down. Give it a Pastor David quote. That if y'all would read your Bible at home, I wouldn't read it to you when you got here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul said, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist the writer in Hebrews said this in Hebrews 1.3, talking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's incredible when you think about it, it's more than just something physical that you can hold in your hands. There's something that predated us before any of us ever got here, before this civilization as we know it ever started, the Word of God was already there. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take Him at His Word because heaven and earth are going to pass away before one iota of His Word passes away. We sing these old songs, if Jesus said it, I believe it. His Word cannot lie. And the truth of the matter is, is that's the truth. If He said it, we can believe it. The psalmist held on to that. The psalmist grabbed hold of it. Psalm 12 verse 5. The psalmist said this. For the oppression of the poor. And he's quoting a direct word from God. God said for the oppression of the poor. For the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation. 
forever. God says, I will arise. And he says, I have pure words. God's words are trustworthy. They're eternal. They're steadfast. God's words are a reflection of himself. And he will establish justice. Psalm 12, you find that treacherous people don't respect words. We find that today, perilous times that we're living in, that people don't respect words. They don't keep their word, and they don't keep God's word. But there's a distinction, y'all. Are you with me right now? We treasure every one of them. We keep them. We trust them the word of God is special to a child of God it's not something to be argued with it's something to be embraced it's not something to try to shy away from it's something to say I want this to guide the steps of my life because as the psalmist said in Psalm 119 11, it keeps me from sinning Psalm 119 and 67 it keeps me from straying Psalm 119 and 133 it keeps my steps and Jesus said in Matthew 5 37 it teaches me to let my yes be yes and my no be no the word of God teaches me to say what I mean and mean what I say so tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the Lord the second one tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to to trust his cleansing blood. We looked at the word of God. This looks at the work of God. That second verse said, Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to trust his cleansing blood. Just in simple faith to plunge me. Neath the healing, cleansing blood. Go back to 1 John chapter 1. and Go back and start back at verse 5. We read up to verse 4. John said, this then is the message which you have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John is telling us that imperfect people can have fellowship with a holy God. But John also brings to us in that short reading of Scripture, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, I read through it quickly, but there were three contrasts between our words and our works. John said in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Claiming fellowship with God but failing to reflect his character is to walk in darkness. And to walk in darkness means that we're living contrary to the moral law of God. And plainly stated, we're living a lie. John goes on to say in verse 8, if we say we have no sin. To say we have no sin is to say, I don't need a Savior. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he gives the third, if we say, statements. When he said, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. To say those things indicates that there's a denial of what we've done that continues on even into the present. To make this denial is to call God a liar. Sometimes guilt can be your friend. I know counselors will tell you that guilt's a bad thing, but sometimes guilt can be your friend. Because when guilt exposes truth in our lives that we wish to avoid, we sin, we've sinned. Guilt actually reaches over and unlocks the door to forgiveness if we go on just a little bit further. Guilt becomes our friend. Guilt didn't just come to deliver us distressing news because the word said, if, in verse 9, we confess our sins. Man, I feel something in this room. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, then progress and change and reform. But most of all, God's forgiveness can come. It starts with confession. You see, the word tells us that all of us that are sitting here this morning, all of us, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Stop there just a moment. None of those shall inherit the kingdom of God. It sounds kind of like we do it when we come to church. We're talking about those that aren't here. Man, I, and some of y'all think this sometimes. Oh, I wish so-and-so had been here so they could have heard what Pastor David preached this morning. It's like God's not got sense enough to know who's going to be in the building and needed to hear what was said. Quit just blowing it off and blowing it on by. Why don't you just say, okay, Lord, just punch me right in the gut. I needed this one. You see, if I could preach to Washington, D.C., I would. Pop did a little... Holy Ghost prayer up at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago. And Paige Wally was watching us while ago. He tunes in with us, our senator. Hey, Paige, we love you. If I could preach at Washington, I would. If I'd preach at Hollywood, I, 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 I would, but I don't. And I'm not preaching to them. I'm preaching to us. And so we don't point fingers over there and say, man, if they would get their act together in Washington, I could live better here. That, that's not the point. The Word of God is telling us that, hey, we know that all these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We know that, that, that all these fornicating people and Stealers and alcoholics and drunkards and revilers and all those people that are taking advantage of others, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11, Paul says, But, and such were some of you. 
Somebody needs to be reminded today that you aren't always wearing your nice suit and smelling as good as you are right now. Some of y'all used to wake up on Sunday morning stinking. Such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul goes on to say in Hebrews chapter, 9, chapter 10 verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing blood. We've talked about the word and the work. And this third and final thing, let's just simply talk about who. Because the third thing, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Say that with me. I'm so glad I've learned to trust him. We have a history. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We have a history. We have a great cloud of witnesses. These saints of old. Sister Carmen Hart recently, Sister Ruth Daniel just over the weekend. These saints of old that have impacted our life. We have a history. We're compassed about with such great cloud of witnesses. But not only do we have a history, we have a story. We're in the middle of our story. And so as we are in our story, the word says in Hebrews 12 too, we're looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. A few days ago, I was in a Tennessee district board meeting, and one of my elders began to share a devotion with us early that morning. It was Brother Shepherd, who pastors my Aunt Linda down in Millington. And he brought to us the thought of the author. The author... The author takes something that never had life and brings it into life by writing the story. I think I've read just about every Louis Lamar book that was ever published. Louis Lamar, does anybody know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Man, he could take and put you in the dust in the desert. With blood oozing from your body. And write you into the story. He was so descriptive. The author takes something that never had life. And brings it into life. He writes the story. The Bible says that he is the author. And he is the finisher. He's the one that starts the story. But he's also the finisher. Are you all still with me? He will complete the story he's writing. 
the one who began your story is still writing your story. That's why Paul would write to the Philippian church in Philippians 1, 6. He said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Some of y'all think you're in a bad spot. I don't, the Holy Ghost is driving me to tell you your story is not over. Your story's not ending on April the 11th, 2021. He's still writing. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. But as we Tie this together. This is what I need you to hear today because it all kind of comes together on this. He's the author. He's the starter of our story. He's the finisher. He's going to complete the story of our faith. It's the story of our faith. Paul said in Romans 12, 3, he said, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Here's what I want you to hear. God gave us all a measure of faith. The Bible says if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, y'all can't see it. I have a little glass vial in my hands. And in it is one little seed. It's a mustard seed. This Sister Carmen Hart's burial at Brown's Pentecostal Church. Ronnie Holmes came up to me and he slid this into my hand. He gave it to me. And I look at this and I'm reminded of these two things. That every one of us is given, number one, a measure of faith. And then Jesus said, if you have faith as the grain of mustard seed. Every single person that's sitting in this room this morning is here because you have faith. It's as simple as that. God gave us all a measure of faith. But listen close. He didn't give us trust. We have to develop trust. God gives us a measure of faith. But we have to develop trust. The Holy Ghost is talking to somebody here this morning. Mom's favorite scripture is Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. God's driving this home with somebody right now. That's why Louisa Steed could write that song and say, I'm so glad I've learned to trust him. I've learned to trust his word just to take him at his word. I've learned to trust his work just to trust his cleansing blood. But I've also learned to trust him. Trust is developed. Trust is learned. Isaiah 43, going back to the Old Testament believers, but Isaiah 43 but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art 
mine. You're mine. Somebody say, I'm his. He's called me by name. I'm his. And he says, when, somebody say when. When you pass through the waters, I will be with thee. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflow thee. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. When? When you go through it. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare and set in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them shew unto them. In other words, God says, I've been in control. I'm in control. I will be in control. And to you and I, verse 8, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Our Lord, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the word says, Seeing that we have our great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And he goes on to say in chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with such great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy of that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God one of my favorite scriptures Philippians 2.13 Paul says for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure somebody needs to know that God is working in our life right now 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, faithful is he that calleth you. He will also do it. Oh, I can't push this into your heart, but I wish you would open up and let the Holy Ghost push it into your heart right now. Somebody's got some serious walls that need to just be opened up and let something come in today. Because you see, it's more than just singing a song. We've learned to trust His Word. We trust the blood and we've learned to trust Him. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega. In Revelation 1.8, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. I am He which was, which is, and which is to come, the Almighty. John said in verse 17, I saw Him and I fell at His feet as dead. And He laid His right hand on me. And He said, don't worry, don't fear. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Trust is developed. Trust is learned. 
But trust is also directed. We have a focus of our trust. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. He's writing to the Corinthian church and he's talking about a time that he says we were goners. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 he said for we would not brethren have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. And he delivered us from so great death. And he doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. And he said, because y'all been praying for us, you're helping together by prayer for us. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. We should trust not in ourselves, but in God. Stand with me if you would. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse Verse 5, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and he shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. But look at this, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Saint of God, if loneliness has come upon you, in your loneliness he became your companion. If in despair he became your joy, if in grief he became your comfort, if in sickness he became your health, if in confusion he became your clarity, you've simply learned to trust him. I'm looking at people this morning that have learned to trust him. You found yourself alone, but not by yourself. You found yourself struggling, but not without strength felt the squeeze, you've endured the pressing, you've known the suffering and you've realized that you've been kept Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul says we're troubled on every side yet not distressed, we're perplexed but not in despair, we're persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. We're reminded constantly that heaven's treasure is in a clay pot so that my confidence is not going to be in the vessel. My confidence is going to be in Him. Paul was honest, and I love honest people. You love honest people. Paul said it. 1 Corinthians 2, he said, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit of power that your face should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God you see brothers and sisters we actually don't have to put on the shows we're putting on we don't have to come around each other and pretend we can actually come around each other and be real and we can come into the presence of God and be real sometimes y'all life just sucks sometimes things happen and I have to tell people and I've told people this week I don't have an answer for that I feel a Holy Ghost driving something here this morning because some of us are stuck where we are and we're not going any further because we're putting a whole lot more trust and confidence in what we're able to do God doesn't want us to trust in the earthen vessel this is heavenly treasure that's been placed in this earthen vessel Paul said, I came to y'all in my reality so that you wouldn't be trusting in my ability. You'd be trusting in the power of the Holy Ghost. And somebody needs to come to that place today and say, Lord, I trust your word. I trust your work. Now I just want to trust who you are. I want to trust you, Lord. I've learned to trust him. My hope is in the Lord. Bow your heads with me. favorite Old Testament prophets Habakkuk Habakkuk said I never saw these powerful things that I've heard my ancestors talk about never had a lot of things that I've heard actually displayed but I've come to this conclusion in my own life Habakkuk 3.17 If everything that I trust in and know about, if it were to come to an end, I've got a focus of trust. Habakkuk 3.17 Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, and the labor of the olives shall fail in the field, so yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. You see, things aren't the way we would like for them to be in Washington. They're not even the way we'd like for them to be sometimes in the state of Tennessee. But here we are as children of God, realizing we're living in the last days, and God is bringing us to a place of saying, you've been misdirecting your trust, but if you will just trust in me, if you would just believe in me and if you would realize that it's not your stuff that causes you to have a source of joy, your source of joy is in your Lord. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to trust his blood. And just to know him. Let's pray. out of the norm. I'm going to have Brother Marshall come up here and pray over us. Praise team is up here ready to go. But I, 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 I just feel like God wants to do something.
somebody's heart and somebody's mind today and some of the word that resonated with you is connected with you I know it has I've sensed that some of you connected to the word some of you connected to the blood some of you connected to the who of our Lord but today God wants to do something that's going to alter your direction before you walk out of this room this morning why don't you begin lifting your voice in prayer right now come on in the name of Jesus can we do this too husbands could you get your wives could you get your